Gig Gab, the Working Musicians Podcast, episode number 63 for Monday, May 2nd, 2016. <music> Greetings, folks. And welcome to Gig Gab, the podcast for weekend warriors. Here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. Here in Los Gatos, California, Paul Kent. Hey, man, how goes it? It's going really good. How's good. it going for you? Uh, good. I, you know, as I uh, as I mentioned last week, was uh, theater week for me. So it was all of it um, since the last time we chatted, <laughs> which I saw. I saw the picture of your pit, which was very impressive, by the way. The pit, yeah. So this was a two man pit. Uh, the music director John played piano, and he was also the director of the um, of the play. He's a teacher at at uh, actually, I guess he heads up the music theater department, or uh, he works. He's uh, something I don't know. I I might be misstating his his position, but he has a a pivotal role in the musical theater department at the University of New Hampshire, and so I wind up doing a bunch of shows with him uh, throughout the year. And this was this was one of them. So the cast was all students. In fact, I think John and I were the only non-students involved. But um, but yeah, it was fun. It's a it the the this is the spring musical that they call the studio musical. It's a bit smaller cast. They can kind of do shows that you know wouldn't lend themselves to a big huge theater, um, and it gives them a little bit of flexibility. But um, but it's interesting because the no one's mic'd, so uh, volume is a very uh, carefully managed thing especially from us and balancing. And usually it's, it's pretty easy because if we can hear the singers who are, you know, 30 feet away from us singing in the opposite direction, um, then we know we're not playing too loud. Right. Yeah. But, but it's, it, it's interesting trying to play, you know, with um, intensity, the right intensity, um, regardless of what volume one needs to play at. In fact, for this show, I had, um, there were a couple, it was a, it was a fun show. There were a couple of Latin numbers, some reggae things, but, um, this one Latin number, the, these people go to a dance and, and they're dancing and then they have a conversation and the conversation happens while everyone else on stage is quietly dancing. And I'm basically playing a drum solo underneath a conversation. So it's the quietest drum solo I've ever played in my life. And I, you know, I did it three times um, this weekend, which is really interesting. It was hard to keep the pulse. You know, I mean, it, every instinct in my body says, oh, I see people dancing. I need to provide them with a pulse. Right. And it's like, yeah, that's true. However, even more important than that is that the audience hears the two people conversing. It's different when people are singing. You can play a little bit louder because people tend to project more when they're singing. But, um, so that, that was an interesting, there's always, you know, there's always interesting parts and, uh, and no night is the same, even though it's all written the same thing. There's always, especially, you know, on a three night run, there's, uh, there's things to learn during every performance. Yeah. For, was the show a success? It was. Yeah. Yeah. It was fun. It was good. Everybody had a good time. The crowds liked it. And, uh, yeah. It was, Would you ever want to conduct a pit band? Um, you know, for some reason, I had never thought about that before. And then for some reason I had, I don't know if it was a dream the other night or I was thinking about it, but 
I, I, I envisioned a scenario where I was conducting uh, the pit band, like leading the pit band. And yeah, I mean, sure. I, I, that would, that would be fun. It would be, uh, it's a ton of work because I, it's very, I mean, it's very easy for me. <sighs> easy is the wrong word. I walk in and the first rehearsal, actually dress, the first dress rehearsal we did was, was awkward. It always is because the music director, the piano player and the uh, cast had been working on this together for months, you know, and I walk in and it was very much, you know, the third wheel scenario, which is always what happens. But this was since the pit was just two of us. It wasn't like he brought a band in. It was, oh, now Dave's here, you know, and and there's, uh, you know, his John, uh, John and I have, have gotten used to working with each other. But uh, one thing I've learned is John's uh, sense of time is not is more. He prioritizes the actors over, say, the what how, you know, a band would play a song. So the time is is loosey goosey all throughout the performance um, for the most part. And, and it's just how it works. And it's, it's probably the right thing, but you know, there's some parts where like we had a, we had a thing where there was a measure, uh, we were playing in four and then four, four, and then there was a measure of six, eight, and then we're back to four, four. And the groove changed when we came back to four. And so I had to be aware of, you know, where that downbeat was going to be. And I asked him, I said, well, you know, are you counting it in two or in three? And I said, no, you know what? It doesn't matter. I don't play anything during that measure of six, eight. It's just six more eighth notes. So we have many measures of eight eighth notes. And then we have a measure of six eighth notes. And then, and then we have back to measures of eight. And I said, so I'll just count it my way. And, and so I was counting it with him. And it was like, well, no. And, and I said, count that for me. And, and he counted it. And he said, well, these eighth notes are faster than, than those. <laughs> and I said, well, no, you can't say. It. I mean, it's <laughs> like, what okay. is the notation for that? Well, yeah, what do you mean? If there's no, the tempo, it's like eighth equals eighth. It's not. And he's like, yeah, but. You know, the way we've been doing it, those eighth notes are faster. I'm like, okay, got it. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll just follow you then. How about, how about that? But that that's sort of the fun part, too, about doing a, a two-man pit. And this is the second time I've done a two-man pit. Um, I did a show, not with him, but with a, another keyboard player, um, uh, I guess about a year ago. And that, that was awesome. Because you, you get to really, I mean, you can be so nimble, um, even in the moment. You know, you can kind of if you if you get if you know each other well enough, you can just kind of have a look and just, you know, change things on a dime, which is fun. As you know, that, you know, those moments are what I live for. So what is the biggest train wreck you've had being in a pit group? Oh, um, I don't know that I've ever had like a I mean, I, I remember once in in Austin, I was filling in for Tommy and um I only ever played the show once with them. I didn't get to rehearse it with the cast. And we started, I started one song and I, I can't even remember the, which song it was, but um, I, I like dropped a stick at the beginning of the tune and totally like screwed up the cast for the intro. The bass player caught it and, and rode with it. The rest of the band knew, you know, I'd been playing the songs over and over again, but uh, that was a personal train wreck that, I'm trying to think if we ever had any real like disasters on stage. You mentioned last week that you had a performer who like dropped, you know, three quarters of a song or something like that. Oh yeah. Yeah. That, that's right. With dirty rotten scoundrels last summer, w there was a, um, this whole, I mean, it's, it's kind of a, you know, it's, it's comedy, 
Right. And so there's, there's these cued moments between the stage and the, and the pit and we're playing a song and there's, there's dialogue happening, but then there's like a slapstick type moment that happens in the dialogue in time. And yeah. And the actors totally like just jumped to it four measures too early. And, uh, we just had to, we, I, we didn't even catch it. It was just like, okay, just stop playing. <laughs> we're, we're done now. Okay, great. No problem. Yep. Like what happened? Don't worry about it. Okay, <laughs> good. And that's sort of the problem is, you know, you can't ask. Um, it's this weird thing because for this, for this show, I mean, we were, it's a really weird feeling being on stage with lights shining on you in full view of every single person in the theater. And for the most part, they're not supposed to watch you. But this is the ultimate uh, follow the leader chain of command type of thing, oh, right? Oh yeah, to- it's, it's totally. His, it's his call. Did he? Did he actually give you guys the the sign to just stop? Um, I, yeah, I would imagine that's what happened during that train wreck. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it just stopped. Yep. Good lesson. It is. I mean, I yeah. mean, if you have, you know, a two piece band or a five piece band or a ten piece band or whatever it is, the possibility of you having two or five or ten opinions about what to do next. Correct. Follow the leader. Follow yeah. the leader. Yeah. There, in fact, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels was one of the few, the opening night of that, um, and and dress rehearsals did not go well. They were, they were like train wrecky and, you know, just loose and sort of all over the place. And opening night, we had this thing. And, and again, it's, you know, it's one of these big numbers. It's a big dance number. And there's this whole sequenced thing that happens on stage, goes from one character to the next, all the way down the line. And I'm playing like a, uh, uh, again, like a Latin thing throughout this. And I stop. And on the next beat, somebody like accidentally hits a dog, uh, not a real dog, but, you know, a prop dog and the dog barks. So it's this whole big thing. And it just has to be in time in order for that particular joke to work. And we had never gotten it right in rehearsal. And uh, so, I, you know, I'm like home that day, like running it like, okay, now I get it. Fine. I get it. And so I'm playing it and I'm in the middle and it's like a three measure thing. And I'm, I'm doing this fill. And at the beginning of the third measure, and I'm, I know I'm supposed to play till the end of the third measure at the beginning of the third measure, John, same music director cut, gives me the sign to cut off. And I saw him do it. And I thought, no, I'm just going to do what I what I know to be right. Um, and if I'm going to screw this up, I'm going to screw it up big. I'm not going to fade out in the middle of this thing. Cause by the time he cut me off, I was still playing. It was like, if I've blown the dog joke, I'm going to play a full measure and blow that dog joke, right. you know? Um, and, and I played it and the dog joke worked. Mm. And I said to him at the end, I said, uh, you know, I'm sorry. I didn't. Cause you, you know, like you said, it doesn't, it, he is always right. Even if he's wrong. And, uh, and I said to him at the end of the, the act, I'm like, I'm really sorry that, you know, I, I just, it just didn't feel right. He's like, no, 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 I screwed up. You were totally right to do that. I'm like, yeah, but John, that's never the right thing to do. He's like, yeah, well, but tonight it was. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. Well, I, you know, it's, it's relevant to me. So I'm uh, organizing this all-star band, a non-rehearsed. Right. Right. And, and all of these are experienced players. Many of them are band leaders, and we're going to do this gig that, uh, you know, the, the big message is we're going to play it like the record. You know, that's that's mm. the basic. Right. Say, that's a safe uh, way to go. Yep. Absolutely. Right. Yep. And but um, I'm sure there will come times where 
there will be lapses of memory, how the record went or, or insertions of memory of how my band used to do this. And it was really cool. I'm just going to try and sneak this in or, you know, mm. all those kind of in the moment things that can happen. And it'll be interesting to see if we can uh, enforce a follow the leader, leader being me, um, and see if we can do that to get through this gig. I mean, again, really fantastic players. I've never done anything quite like this before. I mean, the, the Macworld All Stars would be the closest. Yeah, but but we actually had our own little our own little chain of command in those types of things, right? Well, and we we had our developed own little, it. You know, you, right, exactly. I mean, the only gig that you can equate to this is our first one. Right. Because right. after that, like you said, we we became a band over over time. Um, but, yeah, that first gig, you really were in charge. And and I don't remember anyone questioning that. I mean, we didn't have time to question it, which was the beauty of it. I actually think it was kind of a welcome thing, like somebody yeah. make a decision. So, yeah. Right. And, and we kind of were we were we had professional respect and friendships that were kind of in play there. True. We knew each other. Yeah. Right. So some of that is is happening here. I'd like to think, you know. Yeah. But again, you know, this is a this is a little bit of ego thing, and you know, a little bit of, uh, you know, my plan is to make sure everybody gets ample time to shine. Like you know, every sure. everyone's getting to choose a couple songs. I'll, I'll dole out the solos. I'll dole out you know who's open starting the songs, and hopefully, and and again, I handpick good people for this. Um, but this group as is, I don't know if there's ancient history between certain people. Or, you know, <laughs> yeah, you have no the, idea. That's right. <laughs> I, I just am assuming, you know, if you're as cool with me, you know, if you're as cool with each other as you are with me, this won't be a problem. So, but that thing, it's probably going to be the only rule is like, if we come to a point of clearly, you know, something is going downhill, watch me and I'll make a call and, and let's do it. So, yeah. And that, that means I have to have my game in place and, you know, be ready to make those calls. It's all pretty, you know, like, I think we've, you and I have referred to this. It's, it's the rock and roll fake book stuff, right? So right. It's, it's, it's not stuff that's very far from, from uh, familiarity. So no, it's but, just trying to make it come across in an entertaining way. I, I mean, there's, yeah. there's, you can play to entertain each other on stage and then, a different level is to entertain a crowd of people that don't care that you guys have, have different opinions about how this song uh, might move to the chorus. Well, that's the thing. All these people who are being invited, they all have a good fan base. And so they all are going to be bringing people and wanting to perform for their friends and family as part of this all-star band. And so I think it's mostly what happens. Even the most professional of professionals going into a situation you know, with the, with the right frame of mind in the heat of the moment, sometimes things happen totally. different people. People are wired differently for those, for those situations. Yep. So, you know, I know I have one guy who is, I'm almost positive is going to be too loud. I have one guy who is, I know is going to be a little bit busy. Right. Yep. And so it'll be interesting to see if they take the direction. Um, and, uh, and then I have a bunch of people you know, like Steve and Mary Ellen are, are playing with me and, and, you know, we've developed this great report, a couple of house rockers are there. So, so there's enough there to kind of grease the skids that if one guy kind of starts going out on the rails, I think I'll have some, some of that emotional support on stage to kind of help rail people back in. If that's sure. And your so. rhythm section is house rockers. Is that right? Nope. Oh. Nope. There's five guitarists. Oh. There's three drummers. Oh, there's okay. Not all at the same time. They're rotating cool. in and out. So right. on, on any one song, 
it could be any combination of these people. Right. Uh, and there's oh, three okay. bases, two keyboardists. Yeah. No, you know, I didn't, when we first started talking about it, you told you were you kind of thinking of just having like the same drummer and bass player. And, and, and so obviously that's, too many good players. I couldn't, I couldn't do that. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, these are like some of the people who have made this scene in my area, what it is. I mean, they've been playing for years. They have great followings. They are super, mostly, they're just great players. And to my knowledge, all my interaction, they're great people as well. So, sure. So I'm not uh, – there's one or two people I want to invite that I do not know. Like there's this one guy who's who's up and coming. He's younger, um, but he sounds like he's been – you know, he, he plays like Stevie Ray Vaughan, in cre- incredible voice. But he knows none of us, and I don't know him. Mm. But I've I've seen him, and he's really you know good. And I thought it would be a nice thing to kind of get some new – some of the new up-and-coming blood – and then there's some other people who I just admire, but I don't know them very well. But the band is already about 15, 16 people. So, mm. I, you know, we're getting uh, the basketball term is, is, is there enough ball to go around? Right. You know? Right. So we're, we're almost getting to that point where I'm going to have to throttle it back. So every dream I ever had for what this gig could be, I'll have to be a little bit uh, conservative. But uh, well, the hard part's going to be next year, you know. Yeah. Because some oh, of I the got, people I that got are playing this, year. this morning. Oh, of course I, you did. I got one. Like, I guess I didn't make the cut, you know, the passive aggressive thing. And, um, uh, and I, and actually it was, I've had two or three requests. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And you know what, and you know what this is all about? This is the first thing I said about getting involved with this music in the park thing, even though I'm not selecting the bands myself, just about everyone I know who's in a band contacts me. And even when I tell them I'm, I, I, because I know so many people, I'm trying to stay out of that. Yeah. I don't think people are buying it, which is really unfortunate. And so I'm just kind of exposed. But it's a, it's a, I wonder at the end of the day, if I, if I extract myself from the problem, at the end of the day, these little skirmishes of disappointment, they are painful to me now. Sure. But I wonder if at the end of the day, just doing these big events are going to be better for me, better for the house rockers, better for my town that I'm trying to put this you know, yep. music event on. I wonder if, if at the end of the day, the success of the events – are what's going to all anyone's going to remember. And, you know, someone who's going to be, Hey, you know, you didn't pick my band. Will they be like, Whoa, that's a pretty good series. You know, I get you're doing the best you can. And, you know, well, we, we experienced that with the Macworld all-star band, right? Yeah. Because it was not a, you know, the door was open for many years and, and then slowly the door closed. And I think finally we realized it was closed, uh, you know, sort of after that had happened. Uh, and there were, you know, there were some people that were, um, understandably, you know, upset to be left out of that for yeah. for lack of a better term. But at the end of the day, everybody enjoyed the entirety of the experience that we, you know, all put together. So, yeah, I think I mean, I think I think the I think the stars are, are on your side on this one. Cool. Yeah, man. Yeah. Well, I'll report back on <laughs> so that gig is July 24th. If I'm not here for the July 25th. It's because I got taken out and, and tarred and feathered. Yeah. But, uh, yeah that's hopefully right. I'll, I'll come back in with a really good story about how it all went. <laughs> that's good. Hey yeah. man, we had a couple of questions come in uh, that I think we can, uh, that we can and should address. So feed, questions. feedback at giggabpodcast.com is where you can send us questions. You can also post them on Facebook for us. Uh, we see them everywhere. And, and even if we answer them on Facebook, if, if we think that uh, they're good for the show, we're happy to bring them in here. But these two came in via email. So uh, we'll start with Kevin first. He was referring to, I think it was episode 61, if I am uh, correct on that. But uh, we had a, a discussion about Slack 
Uh, and Kevin wrote, he says, I manage and am the de facto leader of my band. When I heard you guys talking about Slack on your recent podcast, I thought that's just what we need. We currently do most of our communication via text and email, and it's a pain to keep up with. So off I went to research Slack and tried to sell its use to the rest of the band. And there it went downhill. No <laughs> one wanted to try it even for a few weeks. All I got was resistance in them telling me text works great and we have the band calendar. Why do we need this? I tried to explain to them that I have to keep my fingers on the information passed around song ideas, gig booking, equipment rentals, replacement rather, and upgrade sets. The list goes on. I don't think they have any idea how much juggling I have to do and how, how frustrating it is to manage all the information. And that's just with the band. I have a day job. Plus, I umpire baseball. There is a tsunami of information that I have to stay on top of. Kevin's question is, how do I convince them that getting better organized, whether with Slack or any other tool, is in their best interests? I don't mind being the leader and making stuff happen. I enjoy it. But I don't want to get to the point where I just tell them I can't be responsible for all of it and throw it to them. If it comes to that, I might as well get used to the idea of new material not being learned and gigging once a month instead of four to six times a month. Any advice you can offer would be very helpful. Thanks, Kevin. Yeah, that's a great question. And you and I have a particularly interesting approach to this since we work in the technology business and, uh, and we've been working in the technology business for a very, very long time. The concept of giving technology to people who might not want it is something that we've both dealt with, whether it's your mom. I mean, if, if, you, could, yeah. if you can all remember back when people started buying computers for the first time. And, you know, family members started asking for tech support, which is the worst job of all jobs. Um, I, I this is a social problem more than it is a band problem. But I think I think uh, there's some unique things about about running a band. So so first of all, we'll re repeat Slack is this tool that uh, you can sign up to use online. It's called a group communication tool. It combines a few things. It, it's a chat like a lot of people might remember. Um, instant messenger, you know, AOL's tool would be the original kind of chatty thing that most people use. Um, right now, Apple has their iMessage thing. We use all, all of us use SMS texting on our phone. That's a, that's a form of chat. So that's one thing that Slack does. Slack also provides you um, a centralized place to store documents and share documents is another thing that Slack does. And th these are all very valuable and it'll allow and everything's searchable. Actually, that's really important. So if you need to go back and find something that happened a long time ago, it's a lot easier. And as we discussed this when we had it on the show, email is horrible for this. Because email threads turn into other conversations, which turn into other conversations, and it's very hard to kind of keep a linear view of a discussion. So Slack really solves that in a, in a great way. It's free for small groups. If you're a bigger business and you want to add some kind of professional features, you can pay. But small groups, um, there are some limitations, but for most bands, you're never going to run up against those limitations. So, so Slack is a group communications tool. If you have a group that communicates Slack can facilitate this better. I read uh, text works great. We have a band calendar. Why do we need this? It's just kind of a pushback of wanting uh, discomfort with trying a new technology. You know, if it was yeah. me and you, Dave, we'd be like, oh, cool. Let's, let's, let's take something out for a ride and see how it works. Let's see. Yeah, let's see what happens. That's right. Right. Yeah. But, but most people, many people actually are just like, they can be technology adverse because learning curves and, and time and, you know, all yeah. these types of things. Yeah. So the question is, as a leader, can you just say, listen, you've given me this job. I take it willingly, but you got to make it easier on me. So I'm going to insist that we give this a try. 
Can you do that? Some of that is your personality and some of it is the communications personality that exists within your band. Do you have that kind of veto overriding, overarching power to kind of enforce, you know, we're going to give this a try because if you want me to keep doing the work, you got to agree that it should be as easy on me as possible. I think that sounds reasonable to me. What do you think? Yeah. I, you know, but, but it, I mean, that's, that's in a scenario where you're the leader, but yes, in, in that scenario, it does. And I, you know, at, at, at work, I, even if I've decided we're going to change to something like Slack, right? I mean, we, which we did about a year and a half ago uh, with the companies. We went from AOL to Skype to Skype groups, which worked great for a while. And now uh, we use Slack. And I always say, let's just try this for two weeks. Then let's see how we do. And, and that's true of everything. And I think the guys at work have kind of, you know, they see through it now. They know, all right, well, this is just, we're going to change to it. But it yeah. also, if it fails, you can abandon it. It's not, you, you know, it, it's not like you're spending thousands of dollars to do it. It's free. Right. So I will also say this. I brought two groups onto Slack. One is my band. Yep. And one is the kind of all volunteer group that's doing this music in the park thing. Yeah. And to a man, everybody loves it. Oh, yeah. Because that's people great. are just so frustrated with email. I mean, email is just Email's cumbersome. Yeah. It really is. It's gotten, it's, it's not useful let, let me explain it this way for you, Kevin, and perhaps this will be enough to get it to resonate with the guys. With Fling, just today, and Fling's not on Slack. Um, for, we won't even get into it. Um, maybe we will. But uh, we had, I sent out an email talking about some speakers that I found, uh, actually, that somebody recommended to me. And then three different people replied to that email. One asked, um, can we, you know, get together this week and what day? Another started asking about audio interfaces to use with their computer. And I think there was one other thing. So now we have one thread and within 30 minutes, there's three different topics going on with, with email. Like, how do I, like, if I just want to focus in, if I'm not, if I'm a guy that's like working all day and I don't want to get sidetracked with the gear discussion, which fun as it might be, you know, I just don't have time for it, but I do need to know about when, you know, we might get together because that's sort of important, especially if one of the nights is tonight. Um, you know, how do I, how does that stay compartmentalized? And with email, it's nearly impossible. A thread of, of email is great. If you have a group of people that only need to be synced up on one thing, but as soon as you have multiple topics that those same people are going to be revisiting again and again, email falls apart. This is where Slack, you could set up a channel for, you know, rehearsals, set up a channel for gigs, set up a channel for gear discussion. And now you, you can go into Slack and see, oh, there's something about rehearsal. I need to check that. Or there's something about gigs. I need to check that. Gear discussion. I don't need to check that. And you can even set it to notify you differently in those channels so that, you know, with gigs, you get a, a, a notification on your phone or whatever. With the gear discussion, that's more. Uh, I got some extra time. Let me see if. Oh, hey, look at this. You know, and you can sort of go down that rat hole. So that that's the beauty of Slack versus email. I'd add to that. You're probably using Dropbox. You're probably doing a couple other things that Slack kind of brings into under one umbrella mm -hmm. so it is helpful and again searchable everything is yeah. really 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 useful so that's a great that's a great distilling of the, the the immediate problem that slack will solve for everybody so so the answer to your question kevin is if you are the leader of the band or or if you have been given a piece of work to do that benefits the band 
I would take the approach that don't you want to make <laughs> don't you the band want to continue to incent me to do this job that nobody else seems to want to do? Yeah. Make it easier for me. So let's try it. And I will say again, the two groups that I've brought on, one is a band. They all find it incredibly. They, they love it. You know, they they love how easy it is to be mobile. You, you know, use Slack on your phone. They love you know the visual representation of stuff. They love having stuff on one in all in one place at one time. Uh, the one to one conversations are are really useful. Um, and again, you have you know the full. You know, searchability and yeah. and, uh, and history of that so so uh, if you can just pull the leader card and say this is good for me and therefore it's good for you because i'll continue to do this job and i you know let's just try it two weeks give me two weeks yeah and the way that you start when you get going is be prepared to have a bunch of one-on-one chats so you get people put their hands on it because otherwise the two weeks will come and go and That's you smart. know the guys can say and then also put some important things i had to do this with a couple of my guys who, you know, they're, they were sandbagging me and they're like, oh, well, I can't figure it out or I, can't, I didn't have any information. And so they kept trying to email me and I, and I told them, I will only communicate on Slack while we're doing this trial period. And, you know, let's see if we can get it over the hump. That's so, a, that's, that, that is the, a mandatory thing. You've got to totally you gotta do it. You've got to drop the wall. And, yeah. and say, we will not talk over there a month down the road. There might be a good reason to have an email, you know, or something. You can kind of lift the lift the wall a little bit then. But Absolutely. but you got to you got to develop that. You got to change the habit. That's really that's what it true. is. Yeah. And that's the hardest part. But just stick to your guns. And, uh, you know, I, I think they'll like it. I mean, there's, the benefits are are obvious once you put your hands on it. So yeah. good luck, Kevin. Thanks for the great question. I got another question that came in. OK, this is a question about something I know is near and dear to your heart. Much you spend a lot more time thinking about this stuff than I have. Uh, this is about hearing protection. Mm. Uh, Mike from Raleigh, North Carolina says, like Dave, I am a drummer and would really like his recommendations for hearing protection. I've played the drums for about 36 years, all through grade school and college, plus college bands. And now as a hobby, I play in a 10 piece blues, rock and funk band. Yay. 10 piece bands. Hey. We're a bunch of middle-aged older guys and we rehearse once a week and play local clubs and parties every four to six weeks. It's certainly not a ton of playing, but it's great fun and allows for my day job as a podiatrist, as well as a husband to a, and father to a four-year-old. I need to get on the hearing protection bandwagon. I've been considering earplugs for audio-specific volume reduction and or in-ear monitors for sound blocking and monitoring, not schlepping, schlepping another monitor as a plus two. Do you have a preference for either, both for rehearsing and for gigs? I would really appreciate your advice and or recommendations. Really good question. Really well phrased. Yeah, really. Yeah, and thanks for that, Mike. Um, so, yeah, this is very near and dear to my heart. Uh, I had my hearing tested a couple of years ago. I'm 44, by the way. I don't know if I've ever mentioned that on this show. But, um, and I, I uh, most recently, I think it was about three years ago, I was told I have the hearing of an 18-year-old. Um, I can still hear above 17K, which um, which surprised me in addition to everyone else. Um, but starting at 14, when I started playing the drums, I started wearing earplugs. Uh, thankfully, Alex Van Halen published his hearing loss in a, a issue of Modern Drummer that I read as an impressionable 14-year-old, where he said he lost 60% in his left ear and 30% in his right. And I thought, man, not me. I like this too much. So, yeah, earplugs are uh, the way to go. Thankfully, earplug technology has uh, evolved very, very uh, significantly over the past several decades you can still get the foam earplugs, and they're fine. They will protect, mostly protect your hearing. 
Uh, they won't sound good though. So you're going to be very tempted to take them out. And, and that's, that's going to be the, the hardest thing for you, especially because you're already my age um, and perhaps even older. I don't know, but, uh, but that's going to be the hardest part for you, Mike is, is adapting to this. And it, you need to do the same thing we just talked about with Slack. You know, it's, you just need to be absolutely regimented with it, except you never take the wall down. Um, you just go with it, but, you can help yourself. And with earplugs, universal fit earplugs, there's two that I recommend. One are the um, Edemotic ER20s. These have been around for a while. They, they look, they're these triple flange things that you put in your ears. They sound pretty good. They've got filters in them that filter out the sound in a mostly level way so that you're not just losing all the high end and then just getting all the low end through and it sounds terrible. So the, uh, and those are about, I think they're about 15 bucks. And then more recently, a company called dubs D U B S at getdubs.com uh, has come out with their own uh, passive earplugs. And I think they're a little bit more expensive, but only a little, I think they're about 20 bucks maybe. And they sound to me even better. They fit better. They, they sit flush in your ear. And so I highly recommend starting with that. Get used to playing with earplugs in with something in your ears. Get used to that whole thing. And, and then um, you can get custom fitted earplugs. Uh, that's going to cost you typically about 150 bucks plus the fitting at your audiologist. You don't need a full audiologist appointment to do it. You just need to go in and get molds poured for you. So if your audiologist says, no, no, we need a full appointment, you can find another one and, and then just get molds <clears throat> and you can send them off to a company like Future Sonics or Edemotic. Um, just search online for musicians, earplugs. You'll find a zillion of them. And uh, once you get your molds done, you send them off to them and, and back they come. If you're going to go get molds, though, get two sets in one office visit. Most of the time, you won't even pay a dime extra for the second set of molds. Sometimes they'll charge you an extra 10 bucks or something, which is fine. Molds, a fitting for molds should only cost you about 50 bucks um, anyway. But uh, the reason you might want the second set of molds is for the next part of this, which, as you said, is in-ear monitors. Um, again, here you can start with universal fit stuff you can get um you know uh, for a couple of hundred bucks you can get the really good the new future sonics g10s i haven't tried them yet but everybody that has says they're great these are universal fit they're i mean they're earphones that you could plug into your ipod you know that kind of a thing um it but you can also start with some for about 50 bucks they're not going to be great but it will allow you to start down the path uh the hardest part the most expensive part about doing in-ear monitors is um, the belt pack because most musicians are going to need something wireless. And so you're going to be spending, you know, three to 500 bucks just to walk in that particular door. Cause you have to have a decent transmitter and a decent receiver. And those belt packs with the transmitters cost. Uh, I mean, you can anywhere from 300 bucks up to, you know, two grand. And I'll, I'll actually interject here. Yeah, having, having tried to go the, 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 um, the, the inexpensive route and like, I had bought an eighties. Yeah. Not good. Yeah. It's you're, they're not going to sound good. That's right. But, and, and they okay. cut in and cut out and you know, oh. there's, there, there's all sorts of problems. Oh. They don't, do, they don't do their radio stuff very well. That, and that's, yeah, right. Yeah. So you, but as a drummer, Mike, you don't have to worry about radios. I, I actually have a really nice set of, uh, sures. It's, it's old now. It's the PSM seven hundreds, but, um, 
I think they were like 750 bucks 10 years ago or something, but, uh, but I don't use it because it's one more battery that I have to deal with. And, and let's face it as a drummer, there's many other reasons that you're not going to be going anywhere, right? You can't take your drums and strut around the stage, uh, like Paul can with his guitar. So for, because of that, you only need a little headphone amp. And so I've used the, um, it's, I think it's about 50 bucks. It's the Rolls PM50S, PM50S. And it's a pretty cool little box. It'll take a feed from a monitor and you have a, a gain level for, and, and then it's got headphone outs. Um, so you plug your headphones into it. You might want a little extension cable for your, for your earphones. Um, I highly recommend that. But, uh, but otherwise you just plug your monitor feed in and turn it. If you would like, it also has a pass through microphone circuit on it. So if you sing or if you're, if you don't sing, maybe you want an overhead mic on your drums for some ambience in there. Uh, you can plug the mic into the box and then it's got a pass through so that unadulterated, the signal goes straight to the soundboard like it always has, but it gives you an extra volume knob to add as much of that as you want to your ears. So that can be a really handy way of, uh, of doing it. And, and those rolls boxes, it's like 50 bucks. And, and so, you know, for a hundred bucks, you could get yourself into the in-ear monitor game and see how you like it, knowing that you've bought relatively inexpensive headphones and the sky's the limit on those, you know, especially if you've got your extra set of molds, you can, I mean, I think you and I both use ultimate ears, Paul, and right. uh, you know, you can spend, it's easy to spend a thousand bucks on a, set of those without even thinking twice but you don't have to you can do it for about 500 for for custom fits actually some companies are doing them less than that but uh, anything about that the question i ask you every time i see you about what is the what is the learning curve to um to adapting to having these things in your ear i well i can only tell you about the learning curve between earplugs to in-ears because i always played with earplugs um, but, and I think it's a, it's probably a bigger learning curve going from nothing to earplugs, uh, than it was earplugs to in-ears because the earplugs to in-ears the, the hardest part for me was figuring out what mix I wanted in my ears so that I could do it efficiently. And I still thank the guys that uh, were in the band that I played in, uh, called route 66 down in Connecticut when I was going through this, because I know I drove them crazy at rehearsal, uh, for probably about a year sorting it all out. But, um, but what I learned was, you, you know, I want an ambient mic, even if it's, you know, I, and usually an overhead mic over my drums is enough. Um, even if it's not going into the house, uh, just something for my ears so that I can hear that kind of stage chatter and stage wash, but you need to figure out, you need the hardest thing. And this is why I think going from nothing to earplugs or, or nothing to in-ears is, is harder is you have to get used to playing and hearing at lower volumes mm -hmm. that I think that's the hardest part of all of this because you're used to hearing these really loud volumes and, and there's a psychological effect that you, that you lose when that goes away. Yeah. So, so I brought this up before and I, I, I think it's for anyone going from nothing to something. Mm -hmm. So, so uh, it's weird. And the first thing that you deal with is you feel detached from experience of playing in the band you feel yeah. detached from the band you feel detached from the audience um and that takes just getting used to when it's when it's right it's heaven i mean literally it is the most especially if you're singing but but when it's right it is the most relaxed you will ever play 
not having to fight you know, the, the, just the very real volumes that are happening around you, being able to control that. But the downsides are is that um, things change over the course of a night. Someone turns up, someone does this, and all of a sudden it's louder. And you got, you're busy playing. So you know, running that mix is, is, uh, is a thing. So it, unless everyone in your band is very disciplined about holding on to their volume, which of, of which number of bands I ever heard of is zero right. that can do that, right? <laughs> but, um, so that's, that's something. So as things change, you're a little locked into, now it's being thrown at you in a changed state. So that's a little bit weird. And then um, um, we had Dan East on the show you know, several weeks ago, and Dan is a professional sound guy, you know, one of the best. And Dan sent me this fairly uh, detailed, very detailed actually, process to give to my sound guy about how to create headroom and how to you know, mm. monitor the volume. And here's the deal. If all my sound guy had to do was monitor my in-ears, you know, that'd be fine. But yeah. again, the number of bands in the type of situations like you and I have that have a guy who, you know, a front of house guy who's not already stressed yeah, you know, he's got a zillion if, if you things have to one, do. Right. If you have a, a separate guy at all, right? Imagine if if the mixer's on stage and your guitar player is supposed to lean over and do this stuff, right? You're not going to ask him. I'm, I'm that guy. Well, that's I'm, what I'm saying. I'm him. So, yeah. <laughs> so that this is the downside is that, you know, professional in-ear monitors are, are nirvana for professional situations. But in the Weekend Warrior class, there are a couple of constraints that need to be deal, dealt with. And if you don't have a Dave... You know, someone who is adept at at mixing on stage midstream, um, it gets even harder. So, well, and uh, for the monitor it might not mix, be for everyone. I will say this though: for the monitor mix, having a digital mixer that anyone on stage can use their iPad or iPhone to dial in their own sure. in ear mix, it, I mean, changes everything. I it's I love it when I work with an engineer that uses one. I just say, okay, what app do I need? And then I don't even I don't ever need to talk to you about my monitor mix. I'm yeah. I'm no longer a headache for you. And we're both happier because I'm I don't like to drive especially like you said, if it's a single front of house guy, I don't want to drive him crazy just to get my mix perfect. But with yeah. in ears, you need more perfection than you do out of a monitor wedge. Well, um, you're stuck with it is the thing. Yes, there's no yeah. subjective no. There's no subjective learning. You you are getting something piped right into your brain. Yeah. I, uh, I think I speak for a lot of guys is that mid show your adrenaline's going, you're remembering the words, you're thinking about the next song, you're thinking about the cue. It's actually, I find it hard to actually discern what I don't like about my mix. All I know is that it's not comfortable and not right. Huh? Yeah. You know, again, I have a lot of guys. Is it, I, I can hear one horn really loud. Which one is it? Um, or two horns, right? Yeah, it's true. Uh, it takes it takes some brain cycles. You you have to dedicate some brain cycles mid show in order to figure. Yeah, like I'm I'm like you. I'll know it's not right, and then I'll I'll have to remember like during that verse where I don't sing and I'm just grooving along. Let me pay a little closer attention and figure out what it is. But then, of course, the trick is I need to remember what I noticed. When it comes time, you know, when we're in between songs, but I might have other stuff to do. So, yeah, it's right. hard to it. Usually it's after the gig that I'm like, oh, I noticed that, you know, I couldn't hear Mike as well as I wanted. I'm going to make that note for myself for the next time. And of course, with a digital mixer, I can sit here at home and say, OK, uh, I want to bring Mike up a little bit. And then I just save it. And now I'm good to go. You know, 
So, and, and that's a little bit of the marketing fallacy about some of these um, like digital mixers and in-ear monitors is that environment to environment is different and you know settings can get you close yeah but things change every time you go to a different oh, place well, I mean, every if, time every time you go to the same place things change yeah if the microphone is you know an inch further away from the guitar different. cabinet what yeah does that change it with that mic maybe maybe not i don't know you know and yeah anything it's like anything yeah yeah so net net hearing protection is good oh, recommended so important important um, I know all the guys, the horn players in my band have been diligent about that. I don't know if that's a big band thing, but, you know, from the moment I've been playing with them, they um, have been very careful about their hearings. And God, and the same thing, like when the All-Star Band played, you know, when that shriek of of feedback goes across the stage during sound check, yeah. you see how angry people get that, you know, that their hearing is being put at risk. I'm not terribly, I mean, I don't like feedback anymore than the next guy, but, <laughs> but, but, um, I'm not great about my hearing protection. I don't know. I, it's interesting what you said about, you know, having your hearing tested. I actually should think about that. I don't think my hearing is bad. Um, but I'm not uberly cautious. And I've had a couple of, I've had a couple of gigs with, within ears where the band was so loud. And this is typically, you know, the bane of my existence, which is festival gigs where we get 15 minutes to get a 10 piece band on stage, set up, miked, right? Right. Right. Usually you're stuck with a bad mix from the last band and it's really, 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 really loud. And, um, and I've had a couple of festival gigs where even in my in ears, which is my only chance to hear anything, um, uh, I'll be ringing for a couple days, which I know can't be good, but it's um, not good. No, it's not. Yeah, I'm, and I've had I've had a couple of those experiences. I, the worst for me, well, it's I split the difference. It's I, it was either the Rat Poison concert that I saw in um, in nineteen, I think eighty, I don't know eighty seven, yeah. and um, I remember we were in like the second row, and I and and this by the way, when you get your earplugs, the the it's you should wear them on stage, but even louder than being on stage is being in the house for a band. Um, so make sure you wear them when you go see other bands, whether it's in a small club or a big arena. But, uh, I was not wearing them at this show in 87. We were right in front of Warren Martini's amps. And I remember noticing that my hearing was cutting in and out. It was this, <laughs> and I'm like, is that his guitar? Like, Whoa, no, that's not his guitar. Like that's my brain. hearing. Yeah. It's my brain. Yeah. Right. Shutting it off. Hit the pain threshold. Uh, that, and then once I was in the studio in Dallas, uh, just had my headphones on and was tuning up the drums and just playing and the engineer shot feedback through and, and I had a noticeable reduction in 6k right after that. Um, but it has come back, believe it or not. So I don't know if I've just adapted to it or, or if somehow I recovered, but yeah, it's yep. But anyway, it's how it goes. Yeah. So hearing protection is good. So I have a couple of things I want to put in the queue for the next couple of times we talk. One is okay. I want to talk about the concept of fan curation mm. as oh, someone like that. who's I'm playing a lot in my local area. I can only ask my friends to come see me so many times and, you know, it creates an issue. How many times do you go to Facebook? How many times do you send out an email? Um, you know, how do you, how do you, uh, Somewhat take care of your own destiny and make sure that you're going to have respectable, if not great, representation you yep. know, when you go to do a gig. Um, and how do you manage all that? And you know what? What is a fan? What you know? Here's a good question: um, Do you 
do you, uh, I have some people who will email me and ask if they can be on the guest list. Mm. Same people all the time. Mm. The question is, is that a good fan because they want to come see you? Or if you're not worth paying five or 10 bucks for, is it a good fan? fan? So, so that's a, you know, and I'm going to be philosophical about this. Yeah, 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 yeah. So fan curation and, you know, who are your fans and what kind of relationship can you have with them? So that's one. And then I've really been thinking a whole lot about this area about performance. We have spoken about this, but I want to approach it in a different way with you. And I want to talk about, I want to talk about, you know, a lot of people get into playing music because it is a part of their day-to-day personality that doesn't exist. You, you may sure. be a, a, a kind of a shyer person, but music and getting on a stage and performing music uh, satisfies something in you to not be shy, not, not be, you know, yeah. in the background. Um, but that doesn't always make for the most uh, wonderful um, visual experience for someone going out to see live music. And so, you know, what is what is performance? What is performance if you're a weekend band? What is performance if you want to be a, a, a top corporate band? You know, what, what is yep. expected there? And, I, and again, I know we've touched on this in different ways. I'd really like to dig in it and kind of pick your brain. Hopefully, by kind of seeding these questions in advance, we'll get a little bit of feedback on all the all of our feedback loops and have some people weigh into it. So, so like the two it. episodes coming up: audience curation and what is performance. I like it. All right. Feedback at giggabpodcast.com. Thank you, Kevin and Mike, for your questions. Uh, please, folks, this is. You know, you, you folks get to direct the the topics too. So, uh, you know, send in your questions, ask us stuff, even just suggest things. We would love to hear it. It really, sure. really helps us go. And we just like hearing from you. We like knowing that it's not just a one way conversation. So it's uh, it's a good and I, thing. In, in all in all selflessness, the concept that we have. Someone listened to us in North Carolina and uh, I don't know if where Kevin said or, or Raleigh yeah. uh, and someone listened. You know, when we hear that people around the country, or around the world are checking us out, it's really makes doing this very, very worthwhile. It's really fun for us. It's pretty cool. All right, folks, we will see you next week. See you.